Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Francine. Hi, everybody. My name is Francine, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. Um, I first walked into these doors on December 10th of 2003. Um, it was at the living room meeting, and, you know, I know how I got there. I drove there. But what led up to that, I'm not quite sure, because my normal after-work uh, task was to stop and I would make lists at work what I was going to have after work um, through the evening and into the wee hours of the morning and for whatever reason that didn't happen that evening and so I find out that that was my first God shot um, I went to that meeting on a Wednesday, after, a Wednesday evening and the gentleman speaking said things that I needed to hear I didn't know how a 12-step program worked. I knew that there was a 12-step program for alcoholics, and they stopped drinking, and that was the end of that. So I thought, and I realized when I came into these rooms that um, it's a day-to-day lesson that we learn. Um, (laughs) So I came in on on December uh, 10th of 2003, my abstinence date is um, April 6th of 2004, so I just celebrated um, four years and two months of abstinence. Um, I came into these rooms knowing that I had 200 pounds to lose. I have taken off 170 of those pounds, and I've been able to maintain the weight loss for two years. That is a fact. That is a fact that I was only able to say one other time in my entire life. I started dieting when I was 15, and I came into these rooms, I think I was 59. So those decades of the pain and the suffering that went on, um, I just ate. But coming into these rooms, I realized that this was not another diet. It was not going to be another um, agony of defeat because that's how I felt after each diet was sabotaged. So I had hope. I had extreme hope that my higher power would do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And that has happened on a daily basis. Um, I have some pictures that I'll send around. I just wanted to point out the cartoon in here is Marmaduke, and Marmaduke is running out of a candy store, and the caption is, the problem is, Mrs. Winslow, he's never satisfied with just one all-day sucker. And I think that probably all of us in this room are not satisfied with 
any one thing of anything. Um, you know, they say one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. And that's true. That's true. I cannot have one of my red light foods unless my spiritual condition is stronger than my desire for that food. So um, I think that I was a, um, a compulsive overeater when I was three years old. I have a vision in my head that uh, this cute little girl with little curly brown hair and was wearing a black and white taffeta dress with little um, black patent Mary Janes and maybe tights, I'm not sure. But I do remember that when I would go and stay with my grandmother, she would make me breakfast in the morning and then I would be occupied until my aunt, who lived right next door, um, was getting breakfast ready for her family. And I went over there and I had breakfast with them as well. Now this happened at lunchtime. My grandmother would prepare my lunch and I would eat it and then I would go next door and eat lunch with my aunt or whoever else was in her house. I don't know why that didn't happen at dinner. Um, the only thing I can suspect was that there were probably a lot more people around and maybe at that age I doubt that I would have been aware that that would have made a difference. But I only had one dinner. Um, I come from a physically and emotionally abusive household. My mother was a bully, and my father's um, favorite weapon was a big black leather strap with a buckle. And the shame of that is that they would send me into his closet to get that that weapon. And I remember being humiliated. Um, and sometimes when I think about it, it causes me a great deal of pain because I don't think any child deserves, or could, I don't think any child could have done anything to deserve that type of corporal punishment. Um, I was the only child for six years. I have two sisters who are 13 months apart. And it was always, you know, when I started walking and talking, it was always that I did it. The finger was always pointed at me, and I got blamed for whatever happened, and, and I would go into my room. And I would be out, allowed to use the bathroom, and then I'd be in my room for however long they decided the punishment would last. And as I got older, maybe at 10 years old, I started, um, I started having the responsibility of taking care of those two children and taking care of, of the house. And I was the laundress and I was the ironer and I was the cook and the bottle washer. And um, I went to the food. I went to the food because there was no love, there was no safety in that home for me. And... Um, that's what happened until I was 15. I just went after the food. And, you know, you we're teased um, by our peers. And when we're walking down the street, people make jokes or make fun of us or point their finger and say nasty things. Um, 
And that too today makes me sad. Um, so my first diet, I was 15. And my grandmother promised me that if I got to the magic number, and I don't know what that number was because um, I don't believe in numbers on the scale. To me, they are poison uh, because no matter what the number is, it's not good enough. If it's, if it's too low or if it's too high, it just isn't good enough. It's not satisfactory. So I don't do numbers on scales. So I would take the bus from high school to this doctor in Beverly Hills, and he would do whatever he did. I don't even remember because I've been on so many diets, I don't recall what that particular diet was. And I lost the weight. And within a reasonable period of time, I asked my grandmother when we were going to go shopping for the car. And she said we weren't. So there again was disappointment from someone that was supposed to be taking care of me, supposed to love me, supposed to be setting a good example. And so I gained the weight. And I wasn't going to get the car, so why keep the weight off? Um, all of the diets that I ever went on, I was always very successful in losing the weight. That was never a problem. You're eating 500 calories a day, you're going to lose weight. But as soon as you go off that diet, you're now going to probably eat 1,500 calories a day because the game is to gain back what you lost and, and more. So it was like compounded, like your savings account. Um... I always went on a diet for somebody else, um, a party, a picnic, um, any kind of an event or a function, because I, I wanted to look like everybody else. I wanted to be the same. I didn't want to be different. Um, and again, the diets worked. I lost the weight. I got a new dress or whatever it was. And my life hadn't changed, and so I gained the weight again. And, and this went up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, and the last diet I went on was the Fen-Fen diet. And that was by far what I thought was the miracle diet. Because you take these pills, and you run around like the Duracell bunny. And you just, ha I didn't know it was speed. I had no idea. I mean, I realized that I was cleaning and vacuuming like a, a crazy person. <laughs> but I was happy because I was getting thin. And then just before I got to, I guess, where I wanted to be, they took the pills off the market. And I asked my doctor if I could buy whatever supply he had left. And he said no. And he said that would be illegal. And I really didn't care. I just wanted those pills. I just wanted those pills because they worked. And I know today that even if I had been on the FinFin diet for two or three or four years after they had been taken off the market, I would have at some point gained back my weight because this was not getting fixed by the diet. Um... So many diets before that, and that being the last diet, 
I was going to a therapist who was a 100-pounder in Overeaters Anonymous, and at every therapy, she would very uh, subtly mention to me that she thought that that might be a place where I could take care of my, my weight issue. And I knew that there was nothing left for me because I had gone on everything that possibly was and, and, and every one of them um, I defeated. I sabotaged. I didn't know why then. And um, I came into these rooms on the Wednesday, December 10th. God bless you. And I heard what I needed to hear. I heard that there was hope here. I heard that this was the last house on the block. And I heard that the door is never closed. Um, the word perfection no longer exists in my vocabulary because I also feel that that word takes me to a place that doesn't exist. So I do the best I can on a daily basis. And I've done that for four years and three months. Um, I started losing weight by cutting my meals in half. Instead of eating on an 8-inch dinner plate, I started eating off of um, a salad plate. And there was no food falling off that plate. So I suspect they were normal portions. And whenever I would go to a restaurant, I would always ask for a to-go box before I put my first bite, put the fork in the food to take my first bite. Because I knew that if I cut it in half and only ate half and the other half was still there, I knew that that would become part of my meal as well. So I needed to get rid of it, and that's, that's how I figured out I would do it. Um, my abstinence is um, I don't compulsively overeat, and I don't have the same types of behavior around the food that I did before I came into program. And to clarify, that means that if I'm standing at the grocery store and I'm looking to my right or to my left and I see those impulse items, the candy and the chips and the cookies, I need to switch my head back to the place I need to be, and that's in my program, buying the food that I need to eat to sustain myself. Um, when I came into the program, um, oh my, my food plan is three meals a day and two snacks. Um, my red light foods I don't keep in the house because I am powerless over them. Um, I do on occasion have a dessert when I'm out at a restaurant. Um, and I usually have half of the portion because that's all I need. I don't need the full thing. You know, that emptiness in the pit of my stomach that I was always trying to fill with food. God bless you. That I was always trying to fill with food. You know, I could feel the food up to here. I was stuffed up to here. But that emptiness in the pit of my stomach was always there. It was always there, no matter how much food I ate. And when I came into program, I realized that that pit in my stomach was never going to get full with food, no matter how much food I ate. But what I, what I needed... What I had a lack of was spiritual, um, a spiritual condition. And as soon as I started working the steps, and as soon as I started saying my prayers, and as soon as I started 
really being active in the program, that emptiness would fill up on a daily basis. When I first came into the rooms, I went to, I believe, ten meetings a week, and I think I had service commitments in six. Today, I go to six meetings, and I have service commitments in three of them. I have had so many God shots and miracles that have happened to me since I've been in this program. The first miracle was um, at, during my second meeting at the Big Book Study. God raised my hand and allowed me to surrender my best friend and replace it with my higher power. And that was such a good feeling, a feeling of such accomplishment. Um, and there have been so many other miracles and blessings that I've had. Um, I no longer, if someone asks me to go out to a movie, I no longer have to tell them I have to get back to them because I have to find out what kind of seats are in that auditorium because I couldn't fit into the seats at the movies. Um, I no longer have to call a restaurant and ask them, do they have tables and chairs, and do they have booths, and if they have booths, do the tables move, and do they have chairs with sides or without. And there were times when I was too embarrassed to even call, so I would drive by the restaurant and look in the window, and then I would call whoever back and say, yes, I can go, or no, I'm sorry, I can't. And uh, that was hard. That was really, really hard. Um, I would make up excuses when my friends would call and ask me to join them, and I would tell them I was busy. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm eating. I'm sitting on the floor in my living room, and I'm eating, and I'm watching TV. I wouldn't tell them that, but that's what I was doing. I had other plans, and my other plans were to get as far as far away from myself as I possibly could, um, and that was with stuffing, stuffing my face with food. Um, today, I don't need to do that. You know, my program is a program of recovery and of progress. Um, perfectionism is um, a defect of character for me because I know that I can't do anything perfectly. Um, well, I guess I can do something perfectly. I can come to these rooms perfectly. And I can uh, do my food, my, my meal, my food plan perfectly and my abstinence. Um, not saying that there isn't a little curve in the road, but as long as I'm conscious and as long as I know that I, if I take that road, I need to take God with me, who is my higher power. Um... And so I've been able to do that for four years and, and three months. I um, also, uh, the last two years, I have had um, numerous medical problems, um, some of them quite serious and quite severe. Um, I don't have a terminal illness, but I could have very well died on the operating table when these surgeries were performed. Um, I thought that I was able to have escaped 
any of the physical maladies that morbid obesity brings forth. I, I never had high blood pressure, so I'm very fortunate for that. I didn't have diabetes, so I'm very grateful for that. But what I did have was a heart that starts beating at, at 22, and there was a cold blue. And as soon as I heard the cold blue, there was no fear, because I knew that my higher power was going to take care of me. Whatever the result was, I knew that my higher power was going to take care of me, and he did. And um, in August of 2006, um, I had two surgeries, one because it was a failure, and the second one about two weeks later um, because um, MRSA, which is a medicine-resistant uh, staph infection, um, was working itself into my bloodstream. And so they had to redo the surgery, and um, I thought that maybe I was going to die at that point. Is that, I have ten left? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, but I survived. I survived. Um, the last time in December when I had to have a pacemaker put in, um, I felt that God had abandoned me. And... I felt that way, I think, probably for two or three months. Um, I worked the program. I did what I needed to do. But I just wasn't sure anymore why I was going through all of this. And you know what? I came to the conclusion that it really doesn't matter why I was going through all of that. There's a reason. I may never know the reason. But I can share that with my fellows. And if an experience like that happens to you, you'll know that you'll be able to come through it with, your, with the help of your higher power. Um, <laughs> a, couple of sun, a, couple, no, a couple of Fridays ago, I'm a, I'm a, um, a crossing guard for the city of Santa Monica. And when school was over, this family gave me a thank you note. And inside the envelope was a coupon or a gift certificate for a free box of C's candy. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That was wonderful. I just loved looking at that coupon. And as soon as I saw what it was, I already knew what, what was going to be in the first, the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth row. I knew what I was going to go there and get. And then I, my, my disease, I clicked over and I realized that that gift certificate was not for me. It had my name on it, but it is not for me. And I obsessed about it for a couple of days. So finally, I had to take it off the dining room table and put it underneath something. Because I, I can't have red light foods or even red light foods that resemble what they might be in real life. <laughs> so I just hid it under something. And, and when I... When I come across a person who, who needs a one-pound box of seeds candy. I will give it to them with joy. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is the freedom from the bondage. It is absolutely one of the most wonderful feelings to wake up in the morning abstinent and not thinking about 
food. For the last four years, every morning I have had a protein shake and a banana. That's my breakfast. My lunch is usually a salad with protein, and dinner is usually a salad with protein. Um, there are times when I do do um, go out and have other types of food, but I'm just not interested in the foods that I used to live for. Um, I, I don't have the obsession. That obsession has been lifted on a, on, a one, on a daily basis. And, you know, I don't know how it works. I just know that when I come into these rooms, I'm healthy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And my last little story I want to tell you, um, last Sunday... I was walking, I had finished going to a movie, and I was walking down a flight of steps that were carpeted. And there were about 25 steps. And I had to go to the bathroom really, 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 really badly. And so I was trying to, I don't know, maybe take two steps at a time. I'm really not sure what happened. But I lost my balance, and I fell down the 25 steps. Now, all I thought about was, you know, were any of my limbs broken? And they weren't. And... You know, I had a titanium plate put in my neck, and I just checked to make sure that it was still in the same place that it was, because if it wasn't, I would have had a broken neck. So I was very fortunate, and I thank God, but what I think happened to me was God put me in his hands and carried me down those steps. So the only step that I actually really hit was the bottom step. And miracles happen when you least expect them. And if you open up your heart and you open up your head to believe that this is a solution for our, for our um, disease, all of the, the wonderful things that happen to the other people that you hear share will happen to you. Just keep coming back. That's the only thing you need to do is keep coming back regardless of what your disease tells you and do the best you can do one day at a time. So thanks for asking me to share, Walter. <laughs> okay, we have about seven or eight, five or seven minutes to answer some, seven or eight? Okay. Does anyone have a question? Yes, Carl. Thank you. Thanks so much for your sharing and your story. Tell me, how do you work the spiritual part of the program on a daily basis? How do you do it? Repeat the question. The question was, how do I work my spiritual program on a daily basis? Okay. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning, I thank God for waking me up and being abstinent. Um, I read steps one, two, and three. I read on acceptance. I read some other program um, literature that... I can't think of right now. And I do that for about 15 minutes. And I talk to God when I'm in the car on my way to work. And I talk to him a lot when I'm standing on the corner, asking him to please make sure that I guide those children across safely. And um, when that's over, I just continually talk to him because he's right here, always with me. Um, and I try to do that before I make a decision, 
because I don't want to make an impulsive decision. I want it to be um, a decision that will be of benefit to my program. Um, on a group level, I mean, I just want to say what an amazing woman you are. You're such an incredible example of this program. When Francine was in the hospital, I made an outreach call to her and was, you know, like, left the message. And I get a call back from Francine in the hospital dealing with her heart, you know, the whole thing. And I thought, why are you calling me? You should be taking care of yourself. But such a beautiful example of how we're not going to just and how you go outside yourself to help others, and, and I thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and I do have a question. Um, how uh, do you know, kind of intuitively or whatever, this might be kind of a weird question, but when you're spiritually fit enough to have that red light food where it's not going to be a binge and it's just going to be, mm-hmm. hey, I'm having a, a little bit of a dessert or a plate food or whatever, because I'm still kind of struggling with that. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do I determine whether or not it's safe for me to take a bite or two of my red light food? I talk to God. I commit what I'm going to eat to Him. And I ask myself if it's something that I really want or is it just a, a habit that I'm wanting it. Um, there are times when I decide, no, I don't want it. So it's between me and my higher power. Any more questions? Michael. Francine, when yes. you have a, uh, a bad time, you know, you have a few bad days or you have a bad week because things are happening in your life that you can't control mm-hmm. and it starts affecting your program, how do you get back on the track and get it focused again? Uh, The question was, um, if we have bad days, how do we get back in focus and work the program to the best of our ability? Well, I have experienced that within the last two years, and I have experienced it probably last week. And my answer to your question is, depending on how overwhelmed I am, I put... um, I imagine all of those things that are bothering me on a plate and then I work on each one one at a time and leave the rest for God and then once I've gotten the the answer to that first problem and it's been resolved I can go on to the next one it doesn't have to be simultaneously it might be right then and there for that one and maybe a few hours later for the next one but as long as we keep our spiritual connection um, stronger, then our addiction will be better. We'll feel better. And, and I personally think that my feeling is that when we do have that affirmation from inside, that we should journal it. Because so often we, we talk about the um, defects of character and so we're pounding it and pounding it and pounding it. And the other side of that page would be affirmations of how proud you are of what you did today with your higher power, how you achieved getting over that hurdle. Okay? Anyone out of time? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 
Hi, Eileen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you talk about working with a sponsor and if you work with a sponsor and taking sponsor direction and how you do things you don't really want to do? <laughs> well, oh, answer the question. Um, when I'm working with a sponsor, how do I accept her suggestions even though I don't want to do them? Well, <laughs> The first thing that comes to mind is that she has been there, done that, and has X amount of years abstinence and follows the food plan on a daily basis to the best of her ability. And I know that she's not going to ask me to do something that she hasn't done before. So I take my head out of it, I take my will out of it, and I ask God to remove that stubbornness from my head. And sometimes you have to do that a lot. But if you want what that person has, you do what they say. Are we finished? Yeah. Okay, thanks.